I want to invite you to uh, open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And we are in verse 13 this morning. One verse, verse 13. As we're really right in the middle of the law last Last week I talked a little bit about how we had begun looking at the second table of the law. And just to remind you, uh, the first table traditionally as we see it, and I I do believe this is as God intended it, it's structured in this way, uh, that the first table is relating to our relationship with Him, vertical. Uh, And now as we open up to the second table, this is our relationship with one another. Uh, And of course... Uh, the, the second table requires the first. We must be grounded in our relationship with Him if, I'm not saying this law doesn't apply to all people, it does, but if we are to see this law rightly and uh, be able to obey it, uh, we need that first portion there. We need our relationship with the Lord. You know, I've given uh, the message this morning, the title, Am I Really Pro-Life? And most of us here, I think if we were asked that question, uh, are you pro-life, uh, we'd have an immediate answer to it, and, and yet we give that answer in a, a very particular context, probably without even thinking about it. That context would be, of course, with relation to abortion, and that's right. Uh, we should have an answer uh, in that context, and we should draw it from Scripture but I, I think as we open up this sixth commandment and seek to understand the, the standard, remember that's what, what, what the law is, it's a standard, the standard that God is really calling us to, we'll be led to think through this in a, in a broader way. Am I really pro-life? Uh, when I get to the heart of what this commandment means, uh, is my heart oriented in that way. Uh, in other words, am, am I as pro-life, uh, am I uh, as pro-life as I thought I might be, if you want to put it that way? Uh, now, just to remind us, uh, and this is what we should be doing as we go all the way through the law, is that the purpose of the law is that we might see our sin. Uh, that's, that's how it is to be used. That's what the Lord gave it to us for. Uh, God did not give this written law in order to affirm the Israelites in where they were, nor to affirm us uh, in where we are. And yet we can so easily begin to see it in that way that uh, I, I want to see this law in order to, to show myself that I am here, that I am in a, in a good place, and I'm okay. Uh, yet, if you think about what law, period, what law really does, it exposes wrongdoing. Uh, it shows us our sinful hearts. It says, this over here, this is how you've been thinking about yourself. But now when you lay on top of it and apply God's law to it, His standard, this is how I now see my own heart and how I now see myself. And it's not pretty. That's what law, that's what God's law, rightfully done, rightfully taken, does for us. 
Uh, now, there, there, there is a need for us, as if, for those who know Christ, to approach it in the right way and to, to desire that, to desire the Lord to expose our hearts. Because what happens when it exposes our hearts? It shows us our need. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees at one point? He said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners to repentance. And so I I just bring this up to prepare us as we go through the law, and and in particular this sixth commandment, uh, that we uh, remind ourselves what the law does and and make sure we're coming at it uh, from the right perspective. Or if we're not, then then we see that and we understand that. Now, uh, I, I would say about this commandment, about the sixth commandment, uh, and by the way, it's, it is the shortest, well, it's, it ties for the shortest commandment. I think the eighth commandment has four words. Uh, this commandment has four words, so it also is up there with one of the shortest verses uh, in the Bible. But, but this commandment in particular is the primary one, I think, uh, in which we might be tempted to, to look at it and fairly quickly to brush over it uh, and to say, you know what, there are other, there are other places as, as we go through God's law, as we go through God's Word, there are other places where I see that I have struggles and, and difficulties, but this is one I can rest. Uh, maybe I can listen politely as we go through this, uh, but uh, I, I really don't have to struggle with things. Now, if, if that is you, I'll just remind you of uh, the, the parable that we just read, the Good Samaritan, which, in which Jesus... Re- remember how the, the, the lawyer uh, stated his, his question with a great deal of confidence. He, he stated it for himself, and he said, who is my neighbor? Uh, and, and we see there in the text that he thought that this question was going to justify him. Finally say, you know, he, he'd gone through the law. Jesus had said, uh, you, you've stated this well. Uh, now, go and do it. And, and he thought, well, this is just going to solidify it. It's going to justify it. Justify me. Who is my neighbor? But when the Lord, or when Jesus opened up the law through that parable, it did anything but to justify him. Uh, in fact, it, does, it did what it does to each one of us. Uh, it showed the great depth of our sinful hearts. Uh, and so we need to look out for that in ourselves as we approach these commandments, and I think as we approach the, in particular, the sixth commandment uh, this morning. Now, I'm going to read this uh, very short. Uh, let's uh, take it to heart, and then I'll pray. Uh, So this is Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, which states, You shall not murder. Say a word of prayer. Father, we we recognize as we approach uh, your law, we recognize if if we think through how we so often approach it and uh uh, your, your word where it speaks to us in the imperative and, and tells us what we must do, uh, that we so often do this in an outward manner and determine, are my actions in line with this, with just the outward statement, and then we check it off. 
And yet we see in Jesus' words, we see really if we're paying attention all the way through your word, uh, through the way that you dealt with the Israelites, through the ways that you deal with us, that is far deeper than that. Uh, And your concern is not at all that we would simply uh, outwardly be in conformity with your, your law. In fact, you state in your word that you detest that. And so we pray for your help this morning, Lord. Uh, we pray that you would uh, help us to truly see the meaning of this text, the meaning of this passage uh, in, in, in some of its depth, and apply it to our hearts as well, and, and see them truly, and be able to be, be honest uh, with ourselves and before you, motivated, Lord, by the gospel. And if we don't know the gospel, we pray, uh, and I pray, that we would see that gospel that is held out to us, uh, that promises to do that which the law cannot do, uh, which is to take care of our greatest problem, to take care of our sin. So we do. We pray for your help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, over the past couple of years, I think if you were to go downtown Murphy uh, and head straight through town, past the Hen Theater on the right, continue on a little bit, on the right-hand side of the street, you'd come to a very unique business. Uh, Some of you may have been in there. I haven't myself, but I have heard that there's nothing like it in in all the southeastern United States. Uh, It's uh, it's called the Appalachian Driving Experience. You've heard of this. Um, And here's how it works, as as I understand it. They've got a whole array of cars, Porsches. I think they're all Porsches, uh, from which you can choose to take one out for a driving experience here in our uh, wonderful mountain roads. Uh, And so what you do, as I understand, you choose the type of Porsche, and they've got a range uh, from the the, the lower end, if you want to see that with a Porsche, but uh, the lower end all the way up to uh, the higher end, uh, high-performance sports uh, uh, models. And so you can choose a Porsche, then you choose the distance that you're going to drive, and they have a few different distances they'll let you take them out for, and, and then you pay some money, uh, and then you, you get to take the car and, and uh, enjoy the experience and uh, spend time with it. A uh, few hours, in some cases a, an entire day. It's not cheap, though. I did look online at the prices, and not not cheap at all. You know, I think you could probably buy a pretty decent car for the price at which you pay for a few hours at one of the high-end Porsches to, to, to drive. But uh, still, we're, we're talking a $200,000-plus dollar car, and so we can understand there's going to be a price tag to pay. Um, now, just imagine for a moment that, and we'll call it a since it's New Year's, a New Year's gift, just imagine that I have right here a certificate uh, for one person, the only caveat, you've got to be of driving age, uh, but to give to one person for this week. I, I checked the schedule. Wednesday is their first opening with their top-end car. So imagine, I've got a certificate here, and I give it, I'm going to give it to you. Uh, and... You're going to be able to take that certificate and go in there on Wednesday and t- 
take the car and go for a, go for a drive throughout most of the day. It's 150 miles you got to go, so you can do Tale of the Dragon plus. Uh, so imagine you've got that experience ahead of you. Now let me ask you, is there any chance that you might take this opportunity and take this car and really trash it? I mean, just just take it and do what you might do with with a a, a beat up car, and uh, and and maybe maybe you might wind up uh, backing into something and putting a big dent in the rear end, scratching it all to pieces, and then later taking it back, or maybe not taking it back at all, taking that car and 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 just going it's it's pretty trashed anyway, going to the dump and saying scrap metal. Is there any chance that you would do that with the Porsche? Now, I know this is a rather extreme example, but I want us to see with clarity the reason behind the commandment that we're looking at this morning. Because if we fail to understand this, then we might just take this law and place it, have it placed upon ourselves as a restriction, as a constraint upon us, see it in that way, so that it's just something that restricts our rights and restricts our freedom. Now, would we ever think of the requirement that we have to take care of that car, to take care of that Porsche, as a constraint that's been placed upon us to restrict our rights, to restrict our freedom? And the answer is... No, it's, it's really absurd to think of that, that we would just take that car and, and mutilate it, deface it, ultimately destroy it, simply because it's in our possession. Now, the same would be true, of course, if anybody else were driving that car that belonged to the Appalachian Driving Experience or whoever uh, owns the cars, we'd recognize it's not our car. It's not their car. It has another owner. And I think if any of us were, if we were placed on a jury downtown in which someone had done this, done such a thing, that we would come down without a doubt with a guilty verdict upon them and and apply an appropriate sentence because we'd say it's very straightforward. This is deserved. This does not belong to you. Uh, You're not the one who owns it, and therefore, a great injustice has been done. Now, right there, that is the basis for the sixth commandment. It is that for you and for me, life does not belong to us. It is His. He is the one who gave it all life, and He is the one who takes it away and is able to to take it away. It's not ours to take away. You know, uh, David uh, in the Psalms, this may be familiar words to you, David in, in Psalm 139 said this about life. He was speaking of his life. He said, for you, it's you, O Lord, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. You know, David recognized there's only one giver of life, and it's God. He is the author of life, meaning that He is sovereign over all of life, and therefore no one has the right to take away life, to take it into their own hands. It says, you shall not murder. You know, the Lord has, He, he has provided for lawfully a life being taken away by certain designated entities where he designates that authority and he delegates his authority. But again, it's for the purpose of preserving life if we were to go through those. I'm not going to take the time now uh, to go through those. But there are ways to lawfully, that life is taken lawfully because it is delegated by, by the Lord. But we are told, you shall not murder, you shall not take away life. And so on this basis, I'd like to look at this commandment just from a couple of different perspectives. Uh, We've done this in the past with a couple of the uh, commandments, uh, asking these questions. First of all, what does it mean? Very straightforward question. And then secondly, how deep does it go? What does it mean? How deep does it go? Uh, So first of all, what, what is this commandment all about? I will tell you there's a reason that in that illustration that I gave, and by the way, I don't have a certificate up here. I know that was still in people's minds, so I wanted to resolve that, Uh, but, and I apologize for that, Uh, but uh, there was a reason that I used that as an illustration, uh, that I used Porsches uh, as this driving experience with you know, high-performance uh, vehicles uh, as an illustration. Instead of uh, Enterprise rental, Rent-A-Car rent um, that most of us are more familiar with dealing with. Uh, but the, the point is that this starting point with this commandment is all about value. It's all about value. Central to this commandment is that human life is precious, and it's not just some human life. It's not, it's not just those people over there. It's not just these people right here. It's all human life. And you know, we see that in the commandment itself. You know, you shall not murder, period. You shall not take any life. Uh, it's comprehensive. It's across the boards. Now, every person, like David, he was speaking about himself, but every person is fearfully and wonderfully made no exceptions. And where do we get this especially? We get it by going back to the beginning. You know, Jesus' final, I'm sorry, the Lord's final act of creation, uh, His crowning act of creation. What did He do? Genesis chapter 1, He made man and He made woman. Uh, Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. We don't see that anywhere else. Uh, in his creation. Uh, Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, look at the parody there, in value, male and female, he created them. Everything else came first in creation. Then came that which was 
different, that which was set apart, sanctified, precious. You know, David, again, says, uh, as, as we often, we turn to the Psalms to, to hear these deep thoughts about who we are and who the Lord is. He says in Psalm 8, When I look at your heaven, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him, yet you have made him, man, woman, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. You know, you and I may have an attachment to an animal. And that's okay, because the Lord has given animals for man. A dominion, note it says, over them. So you and I may have attachment to an animal, yet it's only man's life that is precious in the sight of God in this way. It's only man that is crowned with glory and honor, made for his image. The animals are not precious in his sight in this way. The Lord has given them to us, yes, for our good, for our care, for our taking care of them, yet they are different. We are sanctified. Man and woman, we are precious in the sight of God. Every man, every woman. And you know, when we, when we really think through what this means, it has to cause us to search our hearts because this is God's view. This is God's doing. And so this commandment forces us to ask the question, is this my view? Is this what I see and what I understand as I look, as I deal with people on a regular basis, people all around me, doesn't matter. Uh, is this how I view them? Is this how I ultimately treat them? Now, at a most basic level, this commandment forbids exactly what we uh, see when we read it. This commandment forbids the taking of any human life when it's not sanctioned by God, who is the giver of life. What does that mean practically? For one, that means that abortion is wrong. It's an egregious sin. It is a sin against God. It's a sin against humanity. And we don't really have the ability to see this in any other way. No matter what the church has done, and and I will tell you, if you go back to the beginning of the church, the church has held this as wrong, as a sin. Yet in more recent years, there have been those who have decided to see this in different ways. We can't. We're not able. Abortion is the taking of a life, a life which is not ours to take and a life which is precious in God's sight, crowned with glory and honor. Although God created all life, humans, all humans, are image bearers of God, created as image bearers from conception. That's what we see in Scripture, from conception. You'll hear this, the viability argument in the courts. There's nothing... To it, there can't be. There's nothing in God's Word that talks about a point of viability in a person's life. 
That's made up by man, and therefore it has no merit. By definition, what what this commandment states is that God is pro-life, and therefore, what does it do for us? It causes us to examine our hearts and to ask, am I pro-life as well? When it comes to the unborn baby, do I see abortion, whatever it is? And there are all kinds of difficult situations, and we have to think about those. We have to think with compassion But whatever situation it is, if it is abortion, then it is murder. Does my heart see it in that way? Do I long for an end to the killing of unborn babies? Does it affect how I think? Does it affect how I vote? Does it affect how I counsel others? Does it affect how I spend my money? Ultimately, am I pro-life? But, of course, this is not the only issue that's dealt with at this basic level by this commandment. You know, God has a a concern here for the termination of all life. And therefore, there must be inside of us, at some level, some distress, some indignation over the culture in which we live, a culture that, by many, has been, been called a a culture of death. And if you think about it, if you, if you go through and, and look at, at our culture and how our culture treats life and how our culture treats death, then I think you've got to come to the conclusion that that's, that's an accurate description. It is a culture in which life is no longer sacred, but it's become more and more cheap. Uh, it is a culture that sees the weak and it sees the ill largely, as a burden to the rest of the world. And therefore, it makes decisions based on that. It's a culture that also glorifies and it exalts death. You know, what we see today is a devalue, and it can't be anything else. It is a devaluing of, and in some cases, direct killing of life, of those who are, in some cases, prematurely born, of the elderly, of the disabled, of those who are weak in different ways. Physician-assisted suicide that some years back we heard so much about. You don't really hear all that much about it, but it continues forward. Uh, It continues to take place. Other countries such as Europe, the countries in Europe are ahead of us in this realm, but we're quickly headed in that direction. What's the great evil today? The great evil is pain. And so death has become the accepted way and the encouraged way of dealing with it. And on top of all that, violence and killing in the home has become rampant. And, con- and, and consider the shootings that take place just on a routine basis. Uh, we, we don't even think about it now. We hear about them so often, whether it's in, in the school or in a mall or in a, a movie theater. Where is it all coming from? Certainly, it's coming from a devaluation of human life because the prevailing view today, and this is the prevailing view, it's taught in the schools today, is that man is not made in the image of God, but is made in the same category as animals, placed in the same category. And therefore, we have a media on all fronts that perpetuates this culture of death. 
where some are valued and others are cast aside and death and killing is, is exalted, making life seem almost trivial and death seem almost trivial. You know, one uh, commentator that I was looking at quoted a statistic from the American Psychological Association. I don't know of the accuracy of this, but I would expect this is probably pretty accurate, that by the time the average child finishes elementary school, he or she will have watched 8,000 televised murders and 100,000 on-screen acts of violence. What does that do? It cheapens life. Life becomes cheap. And so what do you think as we think about the sixth commandment? You shall not murder. What do you think God's view is based upon that, based upon uh, what we know about the God of the law? Uh, what do you think his view is on all of this? He detests it. You shall not murder. Life is precious. It is God who gave it. It's only God's to take. That begs the question, therefore, where are we in all of this? Where is our heart? Are there ways in which we are participating in this culture of death? Or do we stand against it? What about with, with respect to TV, with respect to other types of entertainment, the Internet? Now, for those of us with, with children, with young children, um, how are we raising our children? Are, are we leaving them? And I would say, to what extent are we leaving them? Because it's almost unavoidable in some sense. But to what extent are we leaving them to uh, the, the philosophies of this world by the media that they have, uh, by friends, and, and, and on and on? Uh, where are we? We have a responsibility this commandment brings to us. Where are we with respect to that? In what ways are we allowing the world to teach them, allowing the world to teach us? Are you driven to help, to recognize first, and then to help the weak and the vulnerable, those whom our culture doesn't want to deal with? Uh, or is your first impulse, your first inclination to leave it up to the government organizations to care for certain peoples? Organizations that, of course, are driven by these same philosophies. Do we engage ourselves with our time, with our money, with our hearts? Do we set aside the culture of death and instead demonstrate and teach a culture of life, a culture of, of man created in the image of God? Every single person, no matter what age, born and unborn. The question is, am I really pro-life? Am I as pro-life as I thought I was? So not only what does this commandment mean at its most basic level, but also how deep does this commandment go? You know, it's easy, I think, when we hear the words of this commandment, you shall not murder. It's easy for us to do an accounting of our lives and, and maybe even include the things that we've been talking about up to this point and have a sense there that we understand this standard that God has, has laid down before us. But the question that I'd ask us is, do we really, do we really 
understand it. This commandment does not only deal with the outward act of murder itself, but it goes far deeper, and it deals with the root and the source uh, as well. It's not just the outward act. Uh, It's also hatred in the heart. It's dissension. It's anger which leads to it. All of those have also been, uh, are also forbidden by this commandment. Earlier, I, I read from Matthew 5, 21, Jesus teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, when He said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder and, every, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So right there, he's, he's dealing with the, the commandment. He's bringing it out, and he's saying, this is what you've heard. This is what you have had to put, place yourselves under. But now, he shows the deeper meaning of it. And he says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. You know, this is, he's speaking about anger stirred up within the heart with an intent to do damage, to tear down. It doesn't have to be physical damage. It can be damage with our words. Uh, It can be damage that remains in our thought life, yet it's still under this commandment. It can be words, verbal attacks. So when, when he says the word, you fool, a lot's been made about that, that term there, you fool. It's not the words itself that are critical. It is a, a using words in that way to condemn a person, to condemn their personhood, to condemn their character. Uh, It comes out of the heart. It is an attitude of the heart that he's speaking about. Uh, And especially, this this is addressed to those who are in the community of faith together. Brother is the word that's used. Brothers and sisters. So especially, it applies to them. But if you go further down, uh, you have heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This applies not only to those whom we are close with, but it applies to those who we would be otherwise completely separate from, uh, those whom we might consider our enemies. Again, what's at the heart of this, this commandment is this. Do we see and value others? Yes, especially those who are in the community of faith. But others, all others, as those created in the image of God. Do we bear with them, despite our differences, out of a love for God, for those whom He has created to be image bearers? You know, it's, it's a difficult thing to pray. Thank you, Lord for making this person in your image, for giving them glory and honor, while at the same time harboring anger and hatred in our hearts toward them. This, too, is what it means to be pro-life. And so we've got to ask ourselves, how am I doing? Am I really pro-life? Am I as pro-life as I thought I was? 
as we look deeper, there's something else that we've got to consider here. Uh, and this is true with each of the commandments that we've dealt with all the way through. Uh, and it is that the flip side is also true. Not only do we deal with one side of this commandment, with anger, with hatred, with the, the taking away of life, with that which is forbidden, but it also commands the other side, doesn't it? Uh, what we must do, must do, it's a commandment, in order to preserve life for ourselves and for others, to encourage it, to build it up, to build them up. You know, the uh, Westminster Larger Catechism uh, on this, it, it points to the responsibility that we have in our own lives for preserving our own life as well as that of others. And so in terms of our own lives, it speaks of our responsibility to maintain, here's one of those lists, to maintain quietness of mind, cheerfulness of spirit, a sober use of meat, drink, medicine, sleep, labor, and recreations. A sober use. All this is part of the Sixth Commandment. And it's all toward the preserving of here, our own lives. And so it's, it's talking about moderation, food, drink, medicine, that we already use the resources that God has provided to seek to preserve our own lives and that of others. And this is where the whole debate about, it's our current debate, vaccinations comes in. How do we handle vaccinations? Should I take a vaccination? Should I not take a vaccination for myself? And what is the key here? The key, the, the, the key principle is preservation of life, the upbuilding of life, decreasing risk, caring for ourselves, caring for others. So there are some who, caring for themselves, caring for others, and doing the research that they are able to do, looking at that which is around them, but recognize what they're taking, what we all must take in order to determine this, is we must take the principle of Scripture. That is that which is unchangeable. That which we must draw from Scripture. But then applying it to that which we find out from the world. And so some apply that and determine, I need to take a vaccination. Others, with the information that's available to them and searching their own hearts and consciences, are going to see that there's a higher risk there. Remember, same principle from Scripture. Preservation of life. And so they may see that there's a greater risk there to using medicine that may be unproven, may have not been used in the past, and applying other research that's done against it may come to a completely different determination. And this is one of those areas in Scripture, in this case the Sixth Commandment, that lays down a guidance for us. But it's possible for us to apply that guidance in different ways. Remember, only Scripture is infallible. The research that we gather from various news sources is not infallible. We are to do the best that we can with it. But we are responsible before the Lord for deciding for ourselves, in some cases for deciding for our families, what action is to be taken and what will best preserve life in this situation. And the truth is that there will be 
And there have been different decisions that are made, notice, based upon the same principle in Scripture. But the same question is still there at the bottom of it. Am I really pro-life? Am I seeking to apply my heart to this and before the Lord to preserve life? That's the question that this commandment calls us to answer. And there's one other place that I'd like to point us to here in asking that question. And it involves what what this commandment requires of us in terms of our involvement in the lives of others. And there's no better place than I I can think of to turn to in that parable that we read earlier, Jesus' parable of the, the Good Samaritan. Uh, you remember, again, the question that the, that the lawyer asked. He asked, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered that question by telling the parable. And the parable was about this, this man who was traveling, traveling down from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he, he fell amongst robbers. And they beat him, and they stripped him, and left him for dead. And certainly, if we were to apply the sixth commandment to this group that beat him and left him for dead, what would it do? It would condemn those who attacked him. But that's not where Jesus focuses. He focuses on the responsibility of those who know the law to care for this man, to be involved and engaged in preserving life and what it requires from us. So first of all, there was the priest who passed by on the same road. He saw the man. He saw that he was in need. He was clearly responsible to act. That's what Jesus is pointing out here. But what did he do? He did nothing. And then we've got the next man that came along, the Levite. Also, he saw the need, but again, he passed by on the other side. Neither of them were concerned with preserving life, but what did they do? They looked the other way. They broke the sixth commandment. You know, what this story of Jesus is is poignantly showing us is that one way of breaking this sixth commandment is simply by doing nothing at all. We are responsible for opening our eyes, for looking around us, for acting, for seeking to preserve life. We are responsible as a church. We're responsible as individuals. There is a brokenness in the community in which we live. The Lord placed us here for a reason. There is brokenness that we are surrounded by. What must we do? We must open our eyes. We must see, first of all. We must recognize we're on the same road. And I don't even need to point out the different uh, situations, but that these are people made in the image of God who are left by the wayside, outcasts in the world in which we live. What are we called to? We're called to protect life. We're called to be life givers. When we do nothing, when we close our eyes and we pass by on the other side, when we don't become involved directly, we too break the sixth commandment. And so the question that we've got to ask ourselves, am I really pro-life? I want you to recall at this point what we said at the beginning about the, the purpose of the law. What does the law do? It's there 
to expose sin. The law was never given as a way of life. What do I mean by that? A way of life is when you take the law and you, you, you take your life and you say, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty good there. I'm okay there. Well, that didn't seem so good. And so I'm, I, I need to make a change there. I'll make that change. Check. Then you go to the next one. Maybe I need to make a little change here. Check. I'll, I'll, I'll make that change. I'll bring myself into conformity with it. You know, if we use the law in that way, what are we doing? What path are we following? We're following the path of the Pharisee. The law is meant to expose sin. Sin, which leads to condemnation. Sin, which leads to death. Which means what we need. We need to see our sin. We need to have it exposed. We need to see then. Then, once it's seen, once it's exposed, once we felt it deeply and known it, we need to see that there's a Savior. You recall the words of our assurance of pardon. A little bit earlier, uh, I read them out of Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse, verse 21. And they were this, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That's the sin. Enslaved to evil deeds, but not recognizing that that sin, that those evil deeds led to death, led to condemnation. That's who you were. He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach, before him. That's what the law is to do. It's to help us to see our, our sin. So that what do we do? We turn to the, the only one who can do anything about it because we say, I know myself. I know my own heart. I can't do anything about it myself. But now I know the one who can and who has. And he's the one who died upon a cross for me. That I might be, in these words, holy and blameless above reproach before Him, seen in the same way that our Lord sees the Lord Jesus Christ, free, clean, blameless, and therefore have a right heart to approach this law and to say, out of a love for the Lord, this is my heart's desire to walk in these ways, to care for people in these ways, to preserve life, This is my heart's desire. That is what the law should do. Not something that's a a, a way for us to try to achieve life which is never achievable in and by it. And so as we come to the table this morning, that's exactly what we take joy in this morning. That He has provided a way. He has provided a Savior so that as we see the darkness of our own hearts, and as we recognize... I'm not doing it. I'm not accomplishing the sixth commandment, nor the fifth, nor the fourth, on and on. Yet He has atoned for me. I am able to be together with the Lord, holy and blameless, above reproach before Him. And I can know that as I take these elements. I can know that I have trusted by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only one who can bring life.
that which the law cannot do. Let me say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the ways that you have uh, provided for us. You know our hearts. You know our needs. You know our failures. Uh, You know our great sin. And yet, what do we see that you do again and again and again? You hold out the Lord Jesus Christ before us that we might look and that we might see and that we might uh, be saved and, and walk in that way of life. Uh, Yes, we see in this commandment uh, that you talk about life, life uh, here upon this this earth. And yet we also see in this commandment uh, that what it's really pointing toward is that which you provide only through Christ, and that is true life. I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Help us to see that and help us to know that. And help us, even as we see our sin this morning, Lord, to take joy in this table if we know the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And if we don't, Lord, to see our need for Him. We pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.